values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, don't forget, coming up at 1120, we have Did You Hear This? We do it every day with the biggest headlines and, of course, the breaking news you just heard about the Phoenix Suns ownership change. Looks like it's going to happen here as Robert Sarver will be out by the February 9th trade deadline. What does that mean for the future of the Phoenix Suns? Will we see some deals being made? All of that's happening. Um, I'll, I'll reminder right now, download the KTAR News app. It's the only news app I have on my phone. Anytime news breaks, you get notified on a device. If it's something in print or on the website, it will direct you to the link. If it's happening on the air, you'll be able to listen on your device. It really is the best news app that's out there. So download the KTAR News app. Um, Americans overwhelmingly back, according to this latest poll done by Rasmussen, um, that uh, not only school choice, but more parental oversight and access and accountability uh, for curriculum. And I've been having this conversation with people online. It continues today. I've never had this kind of interaction. And sometimes it just and it's not just directly with me, but it's people that agree with me and the people that disagree and they argue with each other. Um, So um, for me, this is a big topic. The public school system in America is broken, in my opinion. The way we do things is broken. And uh, if you look at the, there's over a million students nationwide that have left the public school system since the pandemic. Parents are seeking other options. It's not because parents hate public schools. I, I don't. What's fascinating to me about this, and maybe this is, I know it's anecdotal, but it's also, maybe it's because it's romantic to me from the town I grew up in. But we had, you know, when I was a kid, there were five district schools in the one district. Now it's grown so big, but there were five district schools. So the rivalries were really big in those schools. And it's interesting now to see the parents, uh, my, my, my age, people that have kids that when their kids were in high school, they lived in another district where they lived at a rival high school and how quickly they changed. So I know this is dumb, but we were the Panthers. We were the Cypress Lake Panthers and our school colors were purple. And the Fort Myers High School was the Fort Myers Green Wave. And so the Greenies, we hated them. They hated us. It was a huge rivalry. And um, to see parents that I grew up with that were Cypress Lake Panthers that are now proudly walking around in Green Wave t-shirts, I thought, man, how could you do that? Well, it's your kids. That's how you do that. And you're part of a community. And so parents and people, um, and it's not just sports, but parents and do not want district schools to go away. This isn't a knock against teachers. It's a knock against the system. So I've been having this argument with people and everybody, the people on the other side of this argument for me, the first thing they do is point out how little we spend on schools, on on education in Arizona compared to other states. And if that were the if that were the easy answer to the problem, we would be seeing dramatic improvement because we have dramatically increased spending. We have dramatically increased spending. People don't want to. This is where the politics of this makes me angry because there are a lot of things I have to admit. And I do admit them because I want to be intellectually honest about things. It was a Republican governor over eight years and with a Republican majority in the state legislature that spent all of this money. And I can tell you that if it had been a Democrat governor that spent this kind of money, they would be building statues to that governor. But because it's a Republican, they don't want to even acknowledge we have spent so much money on education. I'm not saying it's enough. I just want to I'm acknowledging what we've done. We have increased spending in Arizona in education so much that last year and this year we have hit the uh, aggregate expenditure limit that was put in place in 1980. It's got to be overridden again this year. 
in order to spend over $1.2 billion. So we are spending $1.2 billion more money in education in Arizona than state law allows based on something that was passed in 1980. I'm not saying it's enough. I'm not asking people that are on the other side of this to me from me to agree that it's enough. But you have to acknowledge that it's true. The other thing is, and I've done my homework on this, go and look because you can look it up. Individual school districts and states across this country who spends the most money per student on education. And then go and look at districts and states that perform poorly in public schools. One of the great examples is Baltimore, Maryland. They spend a ton of money per student. Failing. Dropout rates. So there is no direct correlation in massive spending with massive success. The system itself is broken. We don't have accountability. Parents are not asking, in my opinion, enough of the right questions. It's not just about what are you teaching my kids. How about what is it costing to teach my kids? So you have a problem with a curriculum because you don't think it's a priority. Fair enough. I agree with you in many cases. Unless we've got kids that are reading and performing the basic skills at grade level, we shouldn't be focusing on anything else. But the other side of this, from the people that are complaining about spending in Arizona, go and look with what go at look not just at the time cost, but the money cost of these curriculums. What does it cost to buy the curriculum? What does it cost to train the teachers? How much time is invested in a school day on these other things? This is the accountability that school districts should be providing parents and let people decide. There's nothing wrong with transparency. Part of a movement that says you're going to post all of your lesson plans and all of your curriculum online, including what textbook you're using, so parents can see what you're teaching and what you're teaching from. Why would anybody say that's a bad idea? It is not a bad idea. You have more and more parents that have decided we're going to go to school board meetings and ask questions. And when they were treated as poorly as they were treated, they ran for the school board. The two examples I've been using recently are Scottsdale Unified School District and out in Peoria, where parents who went in and said, I can't believe this is happening. So they decided, you know what? I'm going to run for a school board. I'm going to spend my time. I'm going to spend my money raising donations so that I can run for a position that's voluntary because I want it to be different. And you're seeing policy changes at the highest levels. But parents are demanding choices. Parents demand choices. And anybody out there that says that that competition doesn't breed success, you're wrong. I I am not a an iPhone guy. I'm an Android user. Always have been. I love my Android phone. Like the platform, it's always worked for me. I love it. There is a reason why every time a new version of anything comes out, it's got so many new cool things about it. The iPhone and the camera and how now you can edit out people in a picture in the background and you can change them and you can update them in old pictures. And they're, uh, and the same thing with the Android and what they're coming out with to make it bigger and better than the last one. Because that competition between those two companies to always outdo the other one has led to so much success. I believe in district schools. I believe they're capable. I believe that when a principal realizes that his or her job, and there's a movement here in Arizona that would allow a superintendent's contract to be canceled if the school fails, I think that's genius because in the end, 
parents of all economic background, of all cultural background, of all skin color, of all religion or no religion at all, all of their children deserve an opportunity at a quality education. And we, as a society, should be holding them accountable. That's the issue here. That school districts should have to tell parents, this is what we're teaching your child. When your child, you drop your child off or they're busting in the morning, this is what they're learning at the beginning of the day. This is what they're learning at the end of the day. Here's the books we're teaching from. And the expectation for your child at the end of this school year is this. Every school should have to do that. And in order for schools to retain students who aren't going to be looking for other options, because I am of the idea that most parents don't want their children to go to a different school. They want the neighborhood school for convenience and for community. They want those people together. They leave because they feel like they're not getting the quality they deserve. And so when schools focus on that quality and they're going to be forced to or people are going to leave, it's going to breed excellence. I have faith in the principals. I have faith in the teachers. When they are focused, they win. And we'll see. I just love this stuff. And I can't see anybody that wants to get rid of it because all it's doing is turning the power of the purse over to the parents. I think it's terrific. Coming up in a moment, uh, we get you caught up on the biggest news stories of the day. We call it Did You Hear This? Going to be a big one today, so come on. We'll do it in a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. It's 1120. That means we catch you up on the biggest news stories of the day. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. Migrant encounters at the border are down in January, and Yuma Mayor Doug Nichols wonders what has caused the shift. The first couple of weeks, I more attributed to the holiday season than necessarily a policy shift, but I really don't understand all the dynamics, you know, to be honest, on how much that policy shift did impact the flow through Yuma. What do you think is affecting the amount of migrant crossings? I have no idea. I will say this. Um, if the president made this decision and he is shutting down the border at these four countries specifically that he talked about, and this is having a positive effect, I will give the president all the credit in the world. Is it part of the holiday season and travel and all of that? It's possible that it's that. Let's wait and see. Let's be happy that there's been a reduction in Yuma, that Yuma's taking a breath and they're not as overwhelmed as they've been in the past. If this is a step in the right direction, let's encourage the White House to do more. Stop playing politics with it, but let's wait and see what the evidence tells us. If it jumps back up in the next couple of weeks, we understand that we're not seeing the results that we need. We already know it's a disaster. Let's keep going in a direction that fixes it. Representative Steve Scalise from Louisiana told reporters something needs to be done about government spending. If you're taking in less money than you're spending, that's the problem. We're taking in, by the way, a dollar and spending a dollar twenty-nine in Washington. So for every dollar we take in, Washington's spending a dollar and twenty-nine cents. That's not sustainable. Do we have an income or a spending problem? We have got a spending problem. We have had a spending problem for years, and uh, what Representative Scalise said is one hundred percent true. There is record revenue in the United. 
United States Treasury. We give the federal government. They take, we give, whatever you want to call it. So much of our money collectively as it is. Redundancy and waste are the first place that I would start cutting. And I would look at those areas where we are wastefully spending or we are losing or there's redundancy. I'd start there. But there's got to be some reining in of the spending. We keep saying it, but neither party is doing it. And it's about time the American people stood up and said they have to live within their means like the rest of us do. You're listening to Do You Hear This? Well, did you hear this? We're doing it every day at this time to catch you up on the headlines. Steve Hooper, a former FBI ASAC, joined the show today to explain sensitive compartmented information facilities, or SCIF, and where classified documents are allowed to be read. The White House is a SCIF. The uh, Air Force One is probably SCIF level. And then, of course, many of President's residences have either a room or a secure area that meet the qualifications. In the wake of multiple discoveries of class- missing classified documents, will we see the scope of a SCIF change? Uh, I don't think we'll see the scope of a SCIF change, but I do think what we are going to see is a full-on investigation of all presidents and vice presidents and maybe some retired senators where there is going to be a protocol change, but there's also going to be an investigation to try to clean this up. We now have three, two former presidents and a former vice president that have documents that they shouldn't have. we got to take a look at that. As the gun rights and gun control conversation is reignited, Texas Representative Morgan Luttrell says his, shares his stance on the issue. As someone who defended the freedoms of people overseas and the freedoms of the American public carrying a gun, I'll never blame the weapon system for these act, these atrocious acts that people are, are committing against these innocent people. Is there a way to allow for more gun control and safety laws that don't infringe on the Second Amendment? I don't know how that's possible. Um, you know, how you make more. The reason why is because gun laws only affect law-abiding citizens. Lawbreakers don't care. The Phoenix program that they just had that went on for a few months that ended, I think, in November or December, where they were focused on illegal guns that had been modified so that made them illegal, people that are prohibited possessors that have guns, or people that are selling guns illegally, that is a program that goes specifically after lawbreakers. I don't know of any legislation that you can make that's going to affect a lawbreaker because they're lawbreakers. They don't care. That's the frustration in all of this for me. You can write all the laws in the world that I will end up following because it's the law and I'm a law-abiding citizen. It's not going to stop the criminals. The issue is stopping the criminals. Great job, Julia. That's Did You Hear This Again for Another Day. We're going to do it again tomorrow morning. Yeah, it's kind of a frustrating topic and uh, it, with the gun control thing because it isn't about prying my gun out of my cold, dead fingers or I care more about my gun rights than dead kids. That's, that's such a false, ridiculous narrative. The idea is what do, how do we get law-abiding citizens – uh, what they need, how do we make sure we're not going after them or inconveniencing them, but we're focusing on the people that have broken the laws. I've used an example. I'll do it very quickly. Um, if we wanted to diminish – and I'm going to use an analogy and then I'm going to use the um, – how people back it up. And I, but it will be – instead of guns, it's this. If we were to put 
a uh, that breathalyzer device that drunk drivers have to have in their vehicles. Um, and after the tragedy that's happened in this building where we lost a coworker that has been loved in this in the radio community for well over 20 years, uh, she was killed by a drunk driver. And it, it has ruined so many – it has hurt so many people. Nobody wants drunk drivers. But if we were to put those breathalyzer devices in vehicles, every vehicle, we could effectively stomp out or stamp out drunk driving. And if you're someone like me that says, wait a minute, I haven't done anything wrong. I'm not putting one of those things in my car. The response is, well, you don't care about people dying at the hands of drunk drivers. It's false. But it's also you don't go after law-abiding citizens because you know as as sure as I'm sitting here, the drunks are going to find a way around it. They're still going to break the law. It's people like you and I that get inconvenienced. Anyway, that's just my, my take on it. Coming up in a moment, uh, we're going to talk about the, uh, the economy because Goldman Sachs is predicting a crash in the real estate market, possibly in four markets. We're one of them. We'll talk about it next. values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with me. Um, Goldman Sachs says four U.S. cities will suffer a a 2008 crash in home values. Now, they are saying this is likely based on the data they have. Um, One of the areas they're talking about is Phoenix, Arizona. The others are Southern California, the San Diego area. San Jose in Northern California and Austin, Texas. And uh, so they believe that those markets are going to see an increase in value in prices for homes. And then they are saying it could be another pretty dramatic fall. So they're concerned about those markets. Um, I talked about this quite a bit this morning, a few times, as a matter of fact, because I think it's a big story. Perception is reality. And if people start getting afraid, and again, I want to be very careful because, well, nobody believes that I'm giving financial advice anyway. I'm not a financial advisor. So this isn't advice. This is my opinion and my own personal situation. Um, I look at Arizona and I look at the direction we've been heading over the last eight years. I don't believe that we're going to see our economy slow down. When you look at the Northwest Valley and the huge investment in the chip plant that's out there and the expansion of that area going west across the 303 is going to be incredible. What's happening out in the East Valley and again, the dramatic investment in the chip industry in Intel. Um, Intel has been such a stellar partner here in Arizona for such a long time, for decades. That dramatic investment in the East Valley, if you look at what's happening, and you can tell a lot by when you go into an area and what's happening there. I love what Mesa has been doing Um, for years now. The city of Mesa has done, again, intentional growth like the state of Arizona has. They have looked for – Higher paying jobs to come into the city of Mesa. They've been very uh, particular in how they helped grow and the companies they went after and sought out to attract. Because when you have companies that come in that are offering higher paying jobs, people that work for those companies want to live close to work, which means the value of existing homes go up and the cost of new homes go up. The people are looking for a price range that's different than just entry level. There's nothing against entry level housing. We need a lot of it and we need more of it. We still have a housing shortage. But when you see the intentional growth that's happened here, 
they have sought out higher paying manufacturing high skilled jobs and I think that bodes very well for here now San Jose in that part of the country San Jose is again Silicon Valley is right there many people in that part of the world that has been the tech hub for the world for a very long time you see the home values there through the roof because of the high paying jobs that are in Northern California San Diego you know about the perfect weather home property values there I don't know a whole lot about Austin Texas um, I've spent a lot of time in Dallas, Fort Worth area, uh, San Antonio, Houston. I haven't spent a lot of time in Austin, so I can't really comment on the market that's there. But here, we are at the beginning of our growth. That's why the managed growth part of this is so important. But when you start looking at the other things in the economy, Arizona lawmakers considering eliminating the rent tax critics warned it could impact city services. And I, I think that's a false narrative, and here's how. There is no doubt that cities will have to figure out a way to recoup that money. But you can't use the scare tactic that it's going to impact police and fire. Um, You can figure out a way to change how you tax people in your city in order to pay for those things. Um, This one's interesting. San Diego wants to tax people out of their cars and into public transportation. Remember the old adage that we tax the things we want less of and we subsidize the things we want more of. San Diego County's Regional uh, Transportation Agency latest transportation plan is designed to make driving so expensive that you succumb to public transportation. Um, So uh, in addition to the current gas tax and registration fees, the plan to add three new half-cent sales tax increases over 800 miles of San Diego County freeways converted to toll lanes and a mileage tax for every mile driven to pay for their $165 billion public mass transit plan. Um, I like public transportation. We had this conversation here in-house recently. I like public transportation. I I think it's great. I I love the subway system in New York. I like the metro in Washington, D.C. They were smart enough to either put it up in the air or put it on the ground. We've got light rail that drives right next to the buses on the streets. I I don't think our public transportation system in Arizona is well thought out. Uh, I'm not trying to be rude. I just – I don't agree with the way they've done things. I don't – unless you are an ASU student – that is going from the Tempe campus to the downtown campus and back, there is not really a huge success in light rail, in my opinion. Um, I've complained about this many times. I'm going to give you a quick list of what I think is wrong with public transportation in the valley. First of all, we would need it because we are a wide city. We're not a tall city. This is Phoenix-specific. But we are not tall. We're wide. Um, And so a need for something like this would be good. But you look at what's happened. The people in South Phoenix don't want it, but they're getting it anyway. Um, what it did for the people that are new to Arizona, when the light rail was put in up central, where it turns from, I believe it turns from Washington Street or Jefferson, where it turns and goes north, um, and then it goes north up central to Camelback Road, where it goes west again to 19th Avenue, that central corridor, it destroyed so many businesses during the construction of light rail. And I mean businesses that had been in Arizona for decades shut their doors. They had to create a website that was called Shop the Line. And the former mayor of, of Phoenix was voicing the commercials. They ran them on radio and television. Shop Phoenix, Shop the Line. And they were begging people to buy things from this website to keep these businesses afloat. So when they were going to go down central, and they are going down central into South Phoenix, South Phoenix says, we don't want it. 
Four lanes, no trains. That was their adage. But here are my complaints. Light rail splits at the one place where you think it would be the busiest. The Phoenix Suns play downtown and not far down the street on Jefferson is where the Diamondbacks play. You've got concerts and events that happen down there. You've got the convention center that's downtown where the Super Bowl experience is going to be there. All of these things in downtown Phoenix where this would be a great thing. And it's the one place, the one place in light rail that it's separated by city blocks. Which means in the summertime when it's 114 degrees and you're going to go to a Diamondbacks game, you've either got to get off and walk down a block in the heat to get to the stadium or the other way around. Either way, you've got to walk a great distance. And for some people that are a little tough for them to walk or whatever, it's just no fun. It's terrible. They ride on the same streets. They have every half mile is where their stops are. There's no facilities. There's no ticket check. That you've paid to get on it. Unless a cop comes up and asks you for your ticket, they don't even check to see if this is happening. We know about the homeless problem that is on there, that, and, and so it's become a little bit dangerous. And not all homeless people are dangerous, don't get me wrong, but there have been crimes committed on the platforms and on the trains. And then let's talk about the buses. Does anybody – I know you all do it in the morning. If you take the surface streets in the morning, when you get on the other side of an intersection, so you're sitting at the light and you're driving south on 19th Avenue, just picking a street. You're driving south on 19th Avenue, and in front of you at the light is a bus. You know when your light turns green that they're going to go through the intersection and they're going to stop blocking one of the only lanes of travel going in that direction to let people off and let people on. Not a bus pull out. We have some. We don't have enough. So we've got buses that during rush hour traffic, they're supposed to improve traffic. Public transportation is supposed to help keep traffic off the roads. You are effectively, in many places, you're taking up 50% of the travel lanes with a bus. Why wouldn't we spend the billions of dollars we did on light rail putting in bus pullouts so that buses can safely get off the road and allow traffic to continue to travel? Those are just some of the complaints. Light rail and buses. I love public transportation, but the people that designed it have done a poor job here compared to other cities. You go to other major cities and public transportation is a great option. We aren't even haven't even talked about the advent of ride share and where many more people have an option outside of public transportation. They're taking Uber and Lyft. So we just have to think what's best. My opinion only. Before we close out the show, um, we have got a new executive order from the governor's office. We're going to talk about what businesses that contract with the governor's office have to do. It's all coming up here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. Um, I want to talk about something that's happening. Um, uh, we talk about being so pro-business. There are a couple of things that have happened in Arizona. With the time we have left, I'm going to go as quickly as I can. Um, there are a couple of things in Arizona that have happened that have made it better and easier for businesses to do their job. One of them has to do with regulation and red tape. Um, we just had on uh, the um, the Senate president 
Warren Peterson on with us, who has been in the housing industry for a couple of decades, I believe. And he was talking about the red tape that holds up building a home. And the numbers and the time and the dollars is outrageous. And so at the state level, they're trying to get rid of some of that red tape. It doesn't compromise quality. It expedites getting a project done. So much of that has been done in Arizona over the last eight years. It makes it more business friendly with regulation and some other things. There are people complaining about it. There's a big story in AZ Central saying how that this drop in in regulation makes it not safe in the workplace. And I think that's a scare tactic for the most part. That's just my opinion because of how pro-business I am. Um, But you can be pro-business and pro-safety. You know, nobody wants to see people injured or dying on job sites. But there's the red tape that's involved. And qualifying for things. There's a point system when you uh, want to work, like for the city of Phoenix. Uh, it isn't a, It isn't when you want to get a contract with the city to do a city project. It isn't that you go out, get a set of blueprints, bid the job, uh, you know, scope of work. Here's the price I'm going to give you for the scope of work. And then win that contract based on that. There is, if you're a minority-owned business, you get points. And if you do this, you get points. And, and so there's this kind of convoluted way we pick the people that we do business with. And I don't know if that's changed over the years or not, but that's the way it used to be when I would bid on city contracts. <clears throat> so uh, there are a lot of businesses out there where the wives own the business. I'm not trying to be sexist, but being a, a woman that owns a business is considered a minority-owned business, and it gives you an inside track to some of these contracts. Well, at the state level, the governor has issued an executive order, and there's a lot of whereases in it. Whereas Arizona is for everyone, requires that every Arizonan should have opportunity to participate, and whereas this and whereas that, we are going to do these things. Um, by the power, by virtue of the power vested in me by Arizona's constitution and the laws of the state, I do hereby affirm the state's commitment to the elimination of all barriers to employment that artificially restrict promotion, recruitment, compensation, and tenure based on any status or characteristic that is not directly related to the performance of the job. And it goes down a list that is how many items long of what companies that want to contract with the state of Arizona are now going to be required to do. Language that they use based on gender and identity, all of these things that companies are now going to have to comply with that are very good at their job and they're probably very good employers. Now, I'm not saying that the state is now accusing employers of doing this. They're going to say, well, this is just to ensure that veterans that have disabilities have a fair shot and people that are transgender and, and people that are of uh, are minorities, they all have an opportunity. I would say to you with the employment the way it is here in Arizona, all of that exists now. Well, what's wrong with putting it in writing to ensure? I will tell you that the problem with it is it's another level of compliance. If you want to do business with the state of Arizona, these are more hoops you're going to have to jump through in order to comply. This is not a business-friendly thing. It puts them at odds with people. The accusation is without this regulation, without this being in written form, there are companies out there that are going to be biased against this gender or this 
identity or this race or and I just it, that's not who we are. And I just don't think that it's necessary. We're going to get more details on this as the days go on and reach out to some of my friends that actually contract with the state and figure out how this is going to affect their ability to do business with the state. That's all going to we'll talk about that as the days come on. You hear the music just about out of time, which means I tell you now, if you're a social media user, here's how you can see the battles on Twitter going on about education at Broomhead. KTAR is my personal Twitter hand, Twitter handle. Go there and check them out uh, at Broomhead show updates you on what's happening on the show specifically guests and otherwise and uh, Mike Broomhead all one word on Instagram is how you can stay in touch with pictures and funny memes and stuff in between shows we're back tomorrow morning beginning just after 8 o'clock thanks for spending part of your day we'll talk with you again tomorrow God bless